Welcome to episode 329 of Live Happy Now. What would you do if, as an adult, you discovered that much of what you had believed about your life was a lie? I'm your host, Paula Phelps, and this week I'm talking with Stanford professor and psychologist William Damon, who didn't learn the truth about his missing father until he became an adult. That led Bill on a journey to do what's called a life review, both for himself and his father, with surprising results. He talks about it in his fascinating new book, A Round of Golf with My Father, The New Psychology of Exploring Your Past to Make Peace with Your Present. And he's here today to tell us about it. Bill, welcome to Live Happy Now. Thank you. I am delighted to be with you. And I am equally delighted to have you here. You know, we've got, oh man, we've got a couple things to talk about. And Previously, you had written about the importance of finding your purpose, which I think ties into the second book. But first of all, can you talk about why it is so important for each of us to find our purpose? Purpose is a terrific motivator in life. It's unique. It's a long-term goal that keeps us going through ups and downs, and it's something we believe in. So it's something that we can dedicate ourselves to and get beyond all of our minute, trivial, day-to-day concerns and worries about what's going to happen with us, to us, prevents self-absorption. And it gives us something to live for, really, because it's it's kind of a beyond-the-self, transcendent, noble cause that you're dedicating yourself to. And when I say this, I don't mean it has to be heroic or something you see in the movies. It can be a very mundane kind of thing. Raising children is certainly a purpose for most people, and that's something lots of people do. So I don't mean to elevate it to something heroic uh, beyond the ordinary person, but it is a very, very special capacity in life to be purposeful. And it brings benefits to the world because you're accomplishing things, but lots of benefits to the self because it gets you beyond yourself to something something more, more noble in life. It can be a bit of a trick, though, to discover your purpose. It, it's like a lot of things that you develop. It's a challenge. I mean, when you develop math skills, you know, learning uh, trigonometry, <laughs> that's not a trick oh, either. It's it's hard work. And purpose is in the personal, of course, domain. And it requires a lot of capacities that we that most people don't develop until at least they reach adolescence. You have to be forward-looking. You have to have the capacity to project yourself into the future. You have to have an ability to be diligent and stick with things and learn enough about the world to figure out what you want to dedicate yourself to. In other words, what kinds of purposes fit your capacities, your interests, your beliefs in life. So it is a developmental challenge. It takes years or decades. So what is it that made you so interested in the topic of purpose? Well, I had been studying youth development for decades, really, and I am the director of the Stanford Center on Adolescence. And we had a lot of studies going that seemed to always point in the direction of the young people that developed some kind of a commitment to something beyond themselves really seemed to be the ones that were thriving. And interestingly, of course, there's a lot of concern these days about stress among young people and overwork and too many responsibilities. 
And we do see that pattern among a lot of young people. The purposeful young people, the ones that I observed, were every bit as busy, if not more busy, than their peers that were crowding their schedules with piano lessons and soccer and homework and thousands of other things without a sense of meaning. But the ones that were purposeful and had meaning behind what they were doing were every bit as busy, if not more, but we did not see that kind of stress. And that got me interested. So we started a whole series of studies on purpose, beginning in adolescence and then moving to midlife. And then finally, to the 50 to 90 year old age group in our in our final studies of the lifespan. That's yeah, that's really interesting. And and did you do you feel like your interest in purpose, did that inform at all the way that you did this new book around a golf with my father? Absolutely. Uh, The book is largely about purpose because I took a look at what my father found purposeful and how much that changed his life when he did and how that affected my own late life enhancement at the very least of my purposeful pursuits. Of course, as, as we'll discuss, I'm sure when we talk more about the book, I never met my father. He was never part of my life directly. And I only found out about him late in my life when I... Yeah, yeah this is like such a stunning storyline. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about what this book is about? Because this was just reading about it. I was like, oh my gosh, what an unbelievable story. So, but it's believable. Bill, tell us what it is. Yeah. And well, I can say that for myself, when I started discovering the story, which was late in my life, uh, I also found it incredible and not not exactly unbelievable, but stunning. I um, grew up without a father and my mother had told me when I was a child and an adolescent that my father was, quote, missing in World War II. He was serving in Germany in the army and he didn't come back. And of course, I interpreted it as he was killed in action. And in fact, that's what appeared on all my school records. And I was in it, it turns out, in a kind of a bubble of ignorance about that because. When I was in college, my mother revealed to me that actually he had survived the war and he just didn't come back. He basically abandoned her and me before I was even born. And he went off and she didn't say anything else about him other than he never came home and abandoned us. When I heard this, I immediately deflected it. I was too embarrassed to talk about it with her further because it It was a revelation that she had hidden the truth from me during my whole childhood, but also it gave me a sense that he must have been just a no-account scoundrel, irresponsible Mm -hmm. to have left us like this. So I had no interest in the man at all and wanted to know nothing about him. And so for the rest of my adulthood, basically, I ignored every possible clue or anything that ever came up. And a few things did come up, but I batted them away. I just didn't want to hear about it. Well, shortly after I turned 60, my daughter, one of my daughters, at that point, a grown woman in her early 30s or late 20s, called me and said, Dad, I uh, I have something to tell you. I'm not sure I should tell you this because it might upset you, but but I kind of got interested in my grandfather that I never met. I did a bunch of Googling and all of that. She came up with information about him that absolutely stunned me. It turned out that he did have a significant consequential life 
after he never came home. He was dead by the time my, my daughter called me, but it turned out that he became a foreign service diplomat, had quite a distinguished career in Europe and later Southeast Asia. He remarried. He divorced my mother. He remarried and had a family, had daughters who were my half-sisters who I'd never met. And this got me so interested and fascinated because I was now ready to open-mindedly find out about him. I guess I was secure enough in my own development that it wasn't threatening to me that my father was an irresponsible scoundrel. <laughs> and so, so uh, I was pretty mature at that point in, in my 60s. And so I did a, a five-year research project to dig up everything I could about him and found out amazing things that gave me a pathway to respecting him, not excusing him really for the irresponsibility and for hurting my mother so badly, but ultimately a pathway to forgiving him, which was good for me as well, because when you forgive somebody, it brings benefits to you as well as to the person you forgive. And I discovered that in his early years as a student, he was very irresponsible. He was a terrible student. And I found this out, by the way, because I discovered now that he had gone to the same school I went to. I never oh my knew gosh. that. Yeah. And I never even could figure out how I got sent to that school because it was a very good independent school. And I grew up in kind of deprived circumstances because with a single mother who had been abandoned, we didn't have any money or anything. But my mother somehow managed to get me to the school and get a scholarship. And it was because my father had gone there. Otherwise, she never would have heard of the place. And But I discovered that I, coming from a disadvantaged background, worked hard and was very ambitious. He, coming from a more privileged background, was lazy, irresponsible. He continued to be irresponsible up to the point that he didn't come home from Germany. But, and here's the point, in his service in the army and then later in the War Department and the Foreign Service, he found purpose. He found things to believe in. And I discovered records of his activities, of what he accomplished, and they were admirable. And it was all about purpose. It was all about that he found something to believe in, the democracy that he was defending, the freedom working in Germany to denazify the communities that he was the head of. He developed his own maturity, moral maturity at that point. And that was amazing to me. And it was amazing to me both as a person, as the son of this man, but also uh, as a professional psychologist to see another case of this happening. And what kind of emotions did you go through? Was it was it more like a, an, an investigation into a stranger or was it very personal or, or what was that like? It was very personal and painful uh, for at least the beginning part of it. I'll just give you one example of it, which ended up being the title of the book. The very first thing I heard about him from my daughter's revelations, she had uncovered an oral history from the United States Information Agency of a diplomat that described my father. And the very first thing the man said, which was a little peripheral to the point, but it still got me, was Phil Damon was a great golfer. And I love golf, but one of the things that I never got to do was have lessons. Nobody ever taught me. I'm self-taught, and I'm very, very far from a great golfer. 
And I resented that. And as soon as I saw that statement, I what flashed through my mind was, geez, why didn't this guy ever come by once or twice to give me a lesson, to teach me how to play this game? And of course, that's just symbolic. It's kind of emblematic of all the things that a boy can learn from a father. And it was just that particular thing that got to me, but it was representative of a whole, of a whole world of, of things I had to learn on my own growing up. But it was very emotional. And I it was filled with resentment and anger. And the reason I, and so the book is called A Round of Golf with My Father. Then the subtitle is The New Psychology of Exploring Your Past to Make Peace with Your Present. The reason it's called A Round of Golf with My Father is that I went to his old golf course. One of my new cousins that I discovered in my quest had sent me his old golf clubs with a scorecard. And I played a game, a round of golf against his scorecard imagining that he was there with me on the course. And I can tell you as a psychologist that that was a very emotional and kind of bonding experience that I could hole by hole, I could see how I did against how he did and imagining that he was there with me. And I know it was just a mental exercise, but it meant a lot to me. And it's representative of this entire process I went through in creating and recreating his life my life, how he affected me, how he did not affect me, going through the regrets I had about not having a father, and thinking about the compensatory strengths that I developed, because I did learn to do things on my own, and I managed to make it anyway. So it was kind of a psychological exercise, and that round of golf with my father was emblematic of the whole thing. And what a powerful visual, just for those of us who are listening, to I think we can all imagine that when when someone's been absent and then to have this opportunity to put ourselves in even an imagined situation where we're with them, I can't even imagine what kind of emotions that was bringing up for you to yeah. to play that. Well, it was at first, uh, as I said, and I think you're right that that a lot of people that I speak with um, have similar kinds of missing people in their lives and similar emotions. And it was it was very painful at first, and then it was redemptive. I mean, that was the transformation that even kind of amazed me as it started happening, that uh, after I worked through the pain and I confronted it, and that's one of the lessons that I write about in my book is you need to confront these buried problems, not just bat them away, which I had done for right. most of my life. But that's what I learned. And when you confront them, it's discomforting, it's painful. But when you work it through, at least my experience was that it was redemptive. And I was actually filled with a lot of joy and wonder by the end of the process. What an incredible journey. You know, another thing that you did was what you call a life review. And I love this. Can you explain to us what a life review is and why it is so important for us to do that? Well, thank you. Yes, uh, it's something I discovered as I worked through this story in my life. I took a look around at psychological methods, what's known as narrative methods of telling your life story or investigating your life story. And of course, your parents are a big part of your life story. And I discovered a method that had been developed maybe 20 years ago or so, or 25 years ago by Robert Butler, who was a legendary psychiatrist who died in 2000 
seven, but he was the first director of the National Institute of Aging and a great, great figure in the field. And early in his career, before he got involved in being a public figure, he developed a method called the Life Review. That is a method of systematically and intentionally going back over your life, the high points and the low points, not in a haphazard way, but really trying to understand mistakes and regrets, mistakes you've made, regrets you have, and trying to see what you've learned from them, how they got you to the person you are now, accepting that person, going back over the high points, what you've accomplished in life, and really owning that and bringing that forward to helping you decide what kinds of purposes you should pursue going forward. That's why purpose is a big part of this book. And Butler did use the idea of purpose as saying that is something that in life gives your life meaning and hope. And one of the important consequences of a life review is you discover what has been purposeful for you in the past. And that gives you information about the kinds of things that will give your life meaning going forward. So I did this. I did this for myself. I did this for my father in his absence. In other words, I kind of did a, a type of a life review for him. And I even did it for my mother, who had also passed away by then, but she was a big part of the story. And so I went over her life and uh, showed to myself and wrote about how in her very difficult time of being an abandoned mother, uh, how she worked that through and discovered again the redemptive responses to that. So the life review uh, was my way of organizing this story. And it brought me the kinds of benefits that Robert Butler, the great psychiatrist, uh, wrote about. So how does it change the trajectory of our lives when we do it? First for ourselves. I do want to talk to you about doing it for someone else. But how can that change the trajectory? It changes it in a paradoxical way. It's it, This always sounds paradoxical. And I have to sometimes um, repeat this when I say this to people. I mean, it's something I discovered myself. It does it because looking backwards in the right kind of way gives you a hopeful and dynamic future orientation. In other words, another way to say it is it turns out that for me, the best way to look forward, the best way to plan and think about who you are and who you want to be is to actually look back and look back as to who you've been and what your experiences have been. Now, it turns out that philosophers have written about this. I didn't know this until I started doing research for the book, but Kierkegaard has a a statement about this, about life can only be understood looking backwards, and then, then you can plan for a dynamic future. So it is a paradox that, uh, that looking forward in the right way means looking backwards in the right way. I also um, quote Steve Jobs, the, uh, the famous Steve Jobs, great creator of Apple, who gave a Stanford commencement address. And I was there and I remembered this. And then I went to look at it. And, and he basically said the same thing. He said he was talking about his life and his struggles with his illness. And he said, you know, you can only connect the dots looking backwards. And then hopefully you'll find a way to, to base your future uh, on that. That's a rough quote, but it's something like that. So it's that paradox of looking backwards so that you can prepare your future in, in the most wise and insightful and optimistic and self-confident way. 
And it's not easy it, to do that because we all have made missteps. There's things that we look at and say, oh, we don't want to talk about that. Yeah. Well, that's what, and that, that's what I fell victim to for decades. And even not having conversations with my mother, uh, avoiding that, I could have discussed this whole thing with her. And that one conversation I had in college lasted less than a minute. And then oh, wow. I, and then I stupidly never, ever took the initiative to sit down with her and work it through. That was a real regret that I had, and I had to work that through. So you're, you're absolutely right. It's, it's not easy. You are tempted to ignore the whole thing. You're tempted to take a kind of a don't look back perspective. But I can tell you that there isn't any way to erase the past. And if you try, don't look back, it always comes roaring back at some point when you're least expecting it. <laughs> it will catch up. Yeah. <laughs> Let me ask you about doing a life review for someone other than yourself, because I can see where that would be helpful, even if maybe the person just is no longer in your life. Maybe they had done something very injurious to you and or or maybe they have passed and you need to resolve feelings that you have with them. So how does that help by doing their life review? How does it change the way we look at that other person? Well, if you have a relationship or if you've had a relationship with a person, it gives you a lot more sympathy for them. And it also teaches you something about yourself because it shows you what it is that they've done that might have influenced you for, the, for good or for ill. But either way, you have to understand it. And what it means is that you are doing research. And I'll say that as, as a kind of an aside, the kind of research you do for a life review, especially for somebody else, is a kind of a historical exercise. When you go back into old files, school files, online searches, military records, it's amazing. It's amazingly thrilling to uncover an old copy of a letter from your grandmother or something like that, that is sitting in a file somewhere. It's just a thrilling, thrilling part of life that is, is history, is your personal history. So I, I describe in some detail how I did this in my book, how I did this uh, for my father and for myself in school, in his school records, my school records, also interviewing people who are still alive, who know who knew the person and finding out. And that also develops your relationship with them. But all of this brings that person alive. And it's an amazing thrill, even, even beyond what personal benefits it brings. It's just fascinating. That's so great. And so if, if a person wants to start doing a live review, how do they go about starting that? Well, I would say it's an individual. Everybody's life is different. Now, I think you have to be creative and inventive. But, you know, if you want to see an example of how somebody did it, I invite people to take a look at my book. Uh, yeah, because, you just walk us through it. Yeah, I, because I go through all the different steps that I and all the little discoveries I made. And I don't recommend that anybody do it exactly in the same way, but at least gives you an example of how of how you could do it. And then and then adapt it to your own life or, or the life of the person, your grandfather, your uncle, your brother, whoever it is you're doing it for. This is such an interesting book. It's The story, again, is just incredible. And what is it that you most hope that readers take away from reading your book? I hope that they, number one, get some sense that it's, it's possible to 
come up with a saving and kind of redeeming result out of things in your life that have been really hard. Uh, in my case, missing a father, growing up without a father, all of those kinds of things, things that have left you with insecurities and resentments. It's possible to, by going back through memories and records and intentionally telling the story, finding out what happened and confronting it and confronting your emotions about it, it's possible to come away feeling pretty good about things, uh, about even the things that happened, that you don't have to have had a lot of good luck in your life to end up feeling good about your life and accepting it. Uh, that's possible. Here's one story of how somebody did it. And since I am a psychologist, I also uh, I also intertwine it with some psychological ideas, some theory, and so on. So I put it in a broader perspective of what we know from the psychology of development of purpose, from the development of capacities, forgiveness, gratitude, purpose that gives life hope and meaning. And so that's what I hope folks will get out of the book is seeing how somebody worked through that uh, from a kind of a difficult beginning to a, a redemptive ending. That was Stanford professor and psychologist William Damon talking about his new book, A Round of Golf with My Father, The New Psychology of Exploring Your Past to Make Peace with Your Present. If you'd like to learn more, just visit us at livehappynow.com and follow the links. That is all we have time for today. We'll meet you back here again next week for an all-new episode. And until then, this is Paula Phelps reminding you to make every day a happy one. Happy one.